Good morning. This is Community Pulse, your local report on the COVID-19 pandemic here in mid-Missouri. I'm Tim Pilcher, in for Mal Daily. Today on the show, we'll be covering vaccines in greater detail, including their rollout and distribution across the country, Missouri's vaccine distribution plan, and when the time comes, how do we get a vaccine and when do we get it? Joining us on the line this morning is Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and your and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Tim, and thank you so much for being our engineer this morning. I really appreciate your availability. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. So um, I'm going to start with just a few numbers. We kind of haven't done a numbers rundown for a while. Um, so... Cases are rising faster and faster. Uh, in the United States, we have 22 million documented cases, um, and they're accumulating at about three to 400,000 a day with 371,000 deaths, which are happening about, again, about three to 4,000 a day. So three to 300 to 400,000 cases with three to 4,000 deaths. Um, and we uh, should expect uh, increasing spread if the new variant that um, uh, the United Kingdom has discovered uh, becomes more common in the United States. Um, also, uh, we're entering a time of, the, of our calendar where it's been two weeks since Christmas, so people who traveled and gathered for Christmas um, probably increased their exposure, and we, we're likely to see increases in cases from that. We'll never know where all these increases came from. And then, you know, in the next, in the next few times, uh, many colleges and universities are going to regather. Uh, the um, uh, city, uh, the Columbia Public Schools is uh, convening tonight to decide about whether they're going to go fully in person when they uh, resume classes next week. So we have um, a lot more combining of households are just baked into the system. So, um, and, and given that, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it's going to be it's going to be more common for things that we have done in the past and not gotten infected to cause infection because of two things. One is we have almost certainly we're going to see a spread of a more contagious variant and also the background community incidence is higher. So it's more likely that the people you come in contact with um, as you go about your life are, are going to be um, infected and contagious. So uh, Missouri and Boone County are not updating their numbers over the weekend, um, but uh, it looks like from Friday uh, we had um, about 4,912 new cases with 62 new deaths. And in Boone County, uh, on the 8th, we had 123 new cases. And the benchmark that I keep looking at is that the health department thinks they can do contact tracing on about 70 new cases a day. So every time where our case numbers is above 70, we just know that we're that much over the levy that the public health uh, uh, and tracing can help us with. And um, in Boone County, we have 61 total deaths. So the the other thing that the other thing that I'm watching is oh, let's see and we have um, a, a little bit over a hundred uh, patients in the hospital at the University and uh, and Boone Hospital uh, who have a diagnosis of COVID. About 30 of those are from Boone County, and so the rest are from outside the county. Um, so we know that our hospital systems are impacted by what people do. Um, in Boone County, but also in the surrounding area, and actually sometimes um, 
when hospitals in places like Kansas City or St. Louis or Springfield feel they may be sending them to Boone County for that. Our hospitals are not functioning on their normal uh, routine, so they are limiting some um, admissions and uh, 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 elective surgeries. So, but we have this vaccine rollout. So we now have a vaccine and we can start to look at the numbers of that. In the United States, 22 million uh, doses have been distributed with uh, 6 million administered, which is, you know, what we're discovering is that in this country, we apparently do a really great job of uh, financing and uh, supporting and doing uh, the basic science to create a vaccine. And then we're not really great at funding and supporting and empowering our public health system to actually do the part that is low tech and not as exciting and not as sexy. And that is how do we get the vaccine out of the vials and into arms? And that requires a lot of people doing something that's not new and exciting. It's something that's old and we've done it before, Um, but that's going to require money and manpower. And the problem is that it seems to be, falling once again on public health um, officials who have been overworked and underpaid for uh, decades and much more so in the last 10 months. Um, And in Missouri, we have been given uh, 406,150 doses um, for about 850,000 people in group 1A. Um, So I'm going to get back to that a little bit. So we've... um, and we have administered a hundred and something thousand of those, about 31% of the vaccines that have been distributed and they began arriving them late December um, have been actually administered. Um, and uh, I think many people are wondering like, when can I get vaccinated? Many people are also wondering how the cake can avoid getting vaccinated or uh, how is it gonna go? They wanna watch to see how it goes. Uh, Some people are more early adopters for anything than others. Um, So there's a lot of people in Group 1B who are very eager to get in line, and they have been um, calling their primary care providers and seeking out the health department, and we finally have a resource for them. Um, And uh, we'll put that uh, resource in the the show notes, but it is a link on the um, city of Columbia's website for people in Boone County only. And it is a way to sign up for an email newsletter so that you will be informed about when we get through group 1A um, and can begin to vaccinate group 1B. And I'll go through what those things are too. And then um, also to uh, uh, give the health department your demographic data of um, your name and contact information and uh, why it is that you uh, qualify for Group 1B. So Group 1A, I want to circle back to that Group 1A, is it's uh, three groups of people. The first, and they're, they're in no particular order, but listed often first is healthcare workers who have direct patient contact or direct contact with laboratory specimens. So we're talking about lab workers and such. Um, and residents and care providers in long-term care uh, uh, settings. So this is nursing home residents and uh, um, the workers that work there. And they are all supposed to be given, you know, the vaccine at about the same time. But what we know is that in Missouri, it looks like the best I can tell is that we've 
um, given it to hospital workers first, in part because it's like it is a little. We sound. I did say it was not very sexy to get the vaccine out of the vial into an arm, but this is a little tricky. These vaccines have to be kept very cold, and then they but they they need to be thawed before they get put in an arm. But they can't be thawed for very long. It's like a number of hours, and then they have to get put in an arm. And so you have to schedule people to show up at the right time so that you can use all the vaccine doses in the vial, and each vial contains five to seven doses. And so you want to make sure that at the end of the day, you you don't have any doses left over in your vial. And so some people are hearing stories of, of people who weren't in Group 1A who got a vaccine. And I don't know, but I'm hoping there are people who... At the end of the day, we've got two doses left. We have to get it injected, and whoever is willing and and available uh, may be getting that vaccine. The other thing that's happening is I think many hospitals are um, ordered enough to vaccinate their entire employee, um, uh, all their employees who qualified, and um, there's been some hesitancy. So somewhere between 30 and 50% of uh, uh, healthcare workers in hospitals are uh, declining the vaccine for right now. Um, and that is a little worrisome. And at the same time, I can understand. It. So um, <clears throat> so what happens when a hospital, say, orders enough for their 800 employees and only 600 want the vaccine? They need to find arms for the other 200. Um, and that is happening not as probably more chaotically than it should be. And um, especially since people on social media are very um, understandably uh, saying that they are getting the vaccine and that people are hearing about it and feeling like they should have been first in line. And I, we should be doing this much in a much more orderly way, but it appears that we're not. Um, so, but I wanted to clarify that we only have uh, many people who are in group 1B and group 1B are people over the age of 65 or is it 75? People over a certain age. Over 65 is what I'm reading. Over 65, mm-hmm. people who have a health condition that puts them at increased risk of complications from COVID-19. And I want people to know that that is a very specific list. There are um, many people who um, have spoken to me about their concerns about being at increased risk, and they may or may not be, but they do not fall into these, these uh, categories where we actually have data that shows that they're at marked increased risk. So it is people with obesity, people with diabetes, people with hypertension, people with lung disease, and people with, and here's the, the one where a lot of people are um, calling themselves in this group, and they, it's a difference in language. It's immune-suppressed people. So I have a lot of patients who have an autoimmune disorder like, like me. They have hypothyroidism, and they are believing their immune systems are, are um, compromised, and they may or may not be. But we are talking about people who are undergoing chemotherapy with clear suppression of their uh, bone marrow, people who are undergoing a bone marrow transplant, and so we actually kind of killed off their bone marrow, people who are um, uh, taking immunosuppressant drugs because they are a trans, they have an organ transplant, and I, I'm trying to remember, maybe people on, on kidney dialysis, but not necessarily people with rheumatoid arthritis or uh, Hashimoto thyroiditis. Um, so those are the people who are in Group 1B. And, if, and, and just so you know, we've been doing this for three or four weeks now, and we still are um, only one-eighth of the way through 
the um, healthcare workers, long-term care residents, and long-term care workers. So we are this. It is really frustrating to me and a lot of people, but this is going slowly. So I think there's been this sense of desperation that if you're in Group 1B, you should get in line right now because it's going to happen soon. And I hope you're right. Um, but I think that it is going to take a little bit of time for us to get through Group 1A. And we can debate about whether Group 1A should have been the first group and whether we should be doing it differently. And I, uh, But I don't think I think that discussion happened six months ago, and we're now implementing it. Um, so one of my questions, Tim, has been, like, what is the holdup? Like, where – like, I, have, I, I am a curious person, and I'm very fascinated. I want to know where all these vaccinations are, and I don't want to ask too publicly, although I just did on the radio, <laughs> because I don't want anybody to think that I want – like, that there's any security risk of me knowing where they are. I'm just very curious, like, are they in a warehouse? Are they in a hospital freezer? What is And what is the holdup between – um, somebody saying they were distributed and somebody saying they were administered. And is it communication? Is it logging in? Is it data, you know, delays in data updating? Is it a problem with distribution? Is it a problem with staffing? And the best I can tell is that um, we did not fund a plan. So there are not people who are being paid and who have jobs who this is their primary work. And it's true that healthcare workers are a little busy right now running hospitals, but there are a fair number of people who um, don't either have the criteria or are don't feel well enough or safe enough to work in a hospital who could be available for uh, giving vaccinations. So um, vaccinations can be given by people without a, a medical or nursing license, as long as that's happening in the context of people with licenses being there to train them and direct them. So we, we could be amassing a, um, a team of um, people to vaccinate, but that requires money and organization, and that has not been provided from the federal government and the numbers that people think is necessary. Yeah, well, I think you're not alone in, in asking a lot of these questions. I've been asking a lot of these questions myself. And I guess what I had supposed was that these vaccines, the control of them are in the hands of very few people. And the further they let it out of their control, they aren't able to oversee that it's administered properly. Um, I don't know yeah, if that's a good think, excuse or not, but um, I, ima I imagine I, I, it's a safely guarded resource and... And, and I think that there's some of that that should be like, how do you keep things at negative 70 degrees Fahrenheit and still move them from point A to point B? This is mm -hmm. not a small logistical problem. And then, you know, how do you make sure that they were they were maintained at that temperature? And the again, the more the fewer places that these vaccines are, the easier it is to be certain that they actually like that somebody didn't leave a door open and and you know, and just so people know that. This is not haphazard. There are, in order for you to be a vaccinator, you have to prove that you have a refrigerator and a freezer system that have um, a continuous temperature monitoring and, and document how you're doing that and all of that. So, um, so that is the thing. The interesting thing is I was looking at the states that are doing better than Missouri, and it's an interesting group. It's South Dakota, West Virginia, and then I, I'm sorry, my, my geography is bad. It's Vermont or New Hampshire. 
and like, okay, these are all rural states with fairly dispersed populations. Um, South Dakota and, and West Virginia probably aren't funding their public health departments better than we are. But so I looked into West Virginia and what West Virginia did was they put their nursing homes first and they um, just, that, that was their priority. And um, if you think about it, nursing home populations are easy to find and easy to get and they don't, you don't have to do this interesting scheduling with that you do with hospital personnel where you don't want to, you don't want to vaccinate everybody in your ICU the same day in case um, uh, more than one of them feel bad and have a hard time coming to work the next day. So we are trying to, you know, do it in a rotating fashion. Um, and then you have to deal with people being on night shift and weekends and how you do that. And nursing home residents are always there. So they, for some reason, West Virginia was able to get to all their nursing homes. They expect to have all of the nursing homes have vaccine in them, which is not the same as vaccine in arms, but could be pretty close uh, by the end of the day today, which is uh, pretty impressive. Um, and Missouri is doing things differently than that and is starting with hospital personnel. Mm -hmm. um, I just so, want to jump in here and add, I know we're covering yeah. a lot of information here. We're going to be including uh, some links to some of the materials we're referring yeah. to in the show notes of the podcast, which you can find later on today at kopn.org. And um, right. for those who are looking for Missouri's state plan, you can find that at covidvaccine.mo.gov. And correct me if I'm wrong, Elizabeth, but each state has their own different plan about how to go about distributing which is their an, vaccine. Which is another part of the reason why it's a little chaotic. So um, so the link to the um, Boone County COVID-19 vaccine availability is long, but it starts with www.como.gov slash COVID vaccine. Right. So I have, I have only found it by clicking on a link. I have not found it trying to just navigate the, um, the, the city of Columbia's website. Um, but that is a place that, again, that's the link where Boone County only residents can go to to si sign up for an email. Maybe everybody could get the email. I don't know. But the, and then you, there's a link. You can also enroll yourself in a, um, theoretically, in a list of people who would be next for a vaccine. There is also a, another way for people to get a vaccine, and that is there's a, um, a vaccine, phase three trial for the Novavax vaccine that is um, that the University of Missouri has become a, uh, a site for. And again, the link to that is also in our show notes and um, let's see. That is at the Trialscope website, connect.trialscope.com slash studies slash a long list of, of digits that I'm not going to read. Um, so it's a new study at MU for the Novavax vaccine. Uh, participants must be 18 years or older, never tested positive for COVID-19, and have a greater risk of becoming infected with COVID-19, so represented by a racial and ethnic group that has uh, been more greatly impacted by the pandemic, such as African-American, Latinx, Native American, or live in crowded conditions such as shared housing, or at a greater risk of becoming infected with the virus, uh, 
uh, work in close contact with the public or other workers, including essential settings, um, have underlying medical conditions or are of age 65 or older. So um, I, I have interacted with some of my patients who are trying to balance the idea of whether they would more quickly get a, an effective vaccine by participating in a trial. This trial is um, randomizing two people to get the active vaccine for every one person who gets a placebo, just a, a saline shot, which we would not expect would help you get stay away from the virus. Um, so, or wait until um, the, uh, the Pfizer or Moderna or other FDA approved or FDA emergency use authorization vaccine is available uh, through the Missouri vaccination. Um, but I'm sure that uh, the folks who are enrolling uh, volunteers in this trial would be happy to talk to you about um, how they have, what it would be like to be a part of the trial if people wanted to do that. Um, and I do not know how quickly they'd be giving the vaccines, but I would think that they would want to, uh, I, I don't want to speak to them, the Moderna vaccine trial, uh, people were given their vaccine on the day that they were randomized. And I and typically that happens fairly quickly in a study. So I would think they'd be wanting to enroll people and vaccinate them fairly quickly since we're all trying to get this done quickly. Um, so I, I think it's a long answer to how do I get my vaccine? And the answer, you know, like with many things, I'm not really sure. Um, probably not any time, like probably almost certainly not this week. And um, I don't know whether getting in line sooner makes it more likely that you would get a vaccine. Um, so I'm wondering whether after I've said all that, Tim, whether you have <laughs> ongoing questions. It just feels like a lot of words to say, yep. I'm not sure, but not yet. Yeah, well, I do have a question. So it's about yeah. phase 1B. And as you said, we're currently yeah. in phase 1A, which covers long-term care facility residents and staff, as well as uh, patient-facing healthcare workers. So phase 1B, which we're not sure when that will arrive, but is the next phase in line, will cover mm -hmm. high-risk individuals, ages 18 to 64, individuals over age 65, and then uh, the following two categories, first responders, and mm -hmm. essential workers. Now, my question uh, is about essential workers and how how are we going to go about identifying essential workers? They've got a very brief list here, and I imagine it will be elaborated on at some point, but we have child care mm -hmm. workers, teachers and education staff. They'll be easy to identify, but we also have mm -hmm. categories like energy workers or critical manufacturing workers. Um, are these individuals going to be self-identifying or do we have a process in place for somebody to say, hey, I'm a critical manufacturing worker. Um, I'm ready to get in line. Right. And uh, yeah, and then we can argue around the edges, like what about members of the media? Um, right. Uh, yeah, I'm just guessing that elected officials and their staff are going to want to be in that. Anyway, um, I don't know. And I think that's part of the, that's going to be um, a big, longer conversation. And how do we identify people when we, you know, we have some, we have a lot of big uh, employers and centralized systems, and yet we still value these sort of small independent things. So it was an issue for me, honestly, Tim, like I'm definitely a healthcare worker with, um, you know, 
direct patient care contact. And it took, it took, you know, a person making calls for, you know, it was part of her job for two or three days to find out how to even know who it is I was supposed to talk to. And that um, ability to sign up, again, on that link of, you know, how to sign up if you're in Group 1B, there is a link if you're in Group 1A. If you are a uh, healthcare worker, volunteer or paid, with direct patient contact, there is a place on that website for you to sign up to um, get in line for your vaccine that should be being distributed, you know, any time now. But... You know, it's like I've been talking to my colleagues, you know, and psychiatrists are often not, don't have hospital privileges. Or, and what about people like, and where do we draw that line? Like, do we include massage therapists and chiropractors and acupuncturists? And um, there's been an issue about are EMTs first responders and in Group 1B, or are they healthcare workers with direct patient contact and so should be in Group 1A? These are the kinds of conversations that are happening and people are figuring it out, and I don't know how that's actually working. So that's why I think that the if people can and are willing to go ahead and sign up and give the city their dem, you know the county their demographic information, that will be helpful in them trying to figure out how many people there are. We think that Group One B may be half of the population. So we've got these 850,000 healthcare workers and long-term care residents and, and workers in the long-term care facilities. And we only have 400,000 uh, vaccine doses even in the state. And, you know, we haven't, we're still only 30% of those have actually been injected. Um, and we're, it's hard enough for us to find those people. Um, dentists were not apparently notified. We've been, you know, been trying to reach out to dentists, optometrists. Uh, people like podiatrists um, are not always, you know, in that we think, well, if we just contact people through the medical society and through the hospital privileges. And so I think that is going to get more of a problem, more of a challenge as we move out to essential workers. Definitely. Yeah, because like, okay, so grocery workers. Well, mm -hmm. what about people who work at uh, farmer's markets? Are they grocery workers? And they're going to be a little harder to find than all the people who say work for GURBS. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we've just so, got uh, about a, a minute or two left here. Yeah. And I did want to talk about the new variant. Um, so viruses replicate quickly, and any organism that replicates quickly is going to begin to have genetic variation. And um, the United Kingdom and Denmark are doing more um, surveillance to look for these genetic variants than any other countries in the world. So it's not surprising that that's where we found it first was in the UK and then Denmark found the same variant. So we're calling it the Kent variant because they first, they first found it in Kent, England. The United States is way behind in the, num the amount of surveillance we're doing, but we have the most cases in the world. So it, would seem to be statistically that we would have the most variation. But anyway, this variant um, seems to now be the predominant uh, uh, variant in uh, London and Southeast England. It seems to be about 70% more contagious. That is, it's easier for it to take a, get a, a foothold in your nose. Um, and so it takes, we're not sure exactly, like, does it take a smaller viral load? 
um, probably. And so more people are getting it um, and it's easier to get it. And um, there is some rumor, it's a rumor that what we're hearing is that there's some doctors in intensive care units in London who are saying they're seeing more young people who are seriously ill. Now, whether that's just because there's so many people getting sick, we don't know, and we're just going to have to see. But what it, it, when you have a, you know, we have this whole, you know, gene, um, uh, evolutionary pressure. So, you know, that whole uh, survival of the fittest, these, vac- these viruses are more like, more easily spread. So they're going to become more dominant. They're going to become more common. And uh, when we see that in the United States, what we, what we know is that the precautions we've taken so far um, are not going to be not going to give us the same effect. And so, for and we have documented that this variant is in the United States. I think that in four states they've documented it, um, and it appears that we can tell, we can get some idea about where it is because there's a, a an interesting finding on the COVID nineteen nasal swab that we're doing right now. So that's going to be helpful that we'll be able to see where it is maybe. Um, But I think what we're going to see is another thing that's pushing us to have a much more rapid expansion of this virus, which I had hoped that, you know, by February we might see some some decrease in spread based on vaccination, uh, increasing numbers of people who've already been exposed and um, have some immunity and warming weather. But I think that... um, my optimism, I'm modifying that, and I think that we're in for two or more really, really difficult months before we're start, going to start yeah. to see um, the effect of vaccination and warmer weather. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. Yeah. But thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Alleman, as always. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. And that is it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Once again, you can find uh, this episode of Community Pulse online later today on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We'll be posting all the links that we discussed, and you can catch us once again next this Wednesday at 9 as usual. And we will have a special guest on Wednesday. Uh, Be sure to tune in for an interview with Dr. Richard Martinello, Associate Professor of Medicine and Infectious Disease from Yale University, who will be talking about viral transmission with our host, Jenny Chadwick. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Coming up next is Between the Lines.